Hi there. Today I am going to talk about my book, The Way with Children, Ancient Wisdom for Leading Modern Young People. And this, uh, this, this first um, talk about my book will be a description about why I wrote it. Um, I had a question in some of the comments from another uh, podcast about why I wrote it, kind of how it came about. So I'm going to explain that. And then I'm going to go through uh, one of the sections of 81. So this will be the first of 81 sections that I am going to do my best to explain in a um, sort of a westernized way to interpret what could be considered more Eastern ideas. So what is the way of children? Why did I write it? How did I write it? How did, how did the whole thing come about? So uh, growing up, I had a really hard time academically. And I just, I just didn't do well. I went to summer school after kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, repeated the third grade, uh, just struggled the whole time, including reading books um, and doing book reports. And uh, so I, I, my biggest struggle was math, but I struggled in English too. Anyway, um, all the way through junior high till I was a, a freshman, I had a really hard time even with just reading, um, uh, you know, books that, you know, like Moby Dick or something like that, like books that would be normally expected to read for English classes and then doing book reports on them, among other things. Um, but uh, when I was a freshman in March of my freshman high school year, my father passed away due to an accident. And in his closet, at a, on a shelf about head high for me, there was a set of 10 books and uh, on, on 10 different subjects. They were a very modern version of sort of self-help books. They were called the Mental Efficiency Series, and they were published in 1914, and these books actually were that old as well. This was in the 1980s, so they were, even at that time, they were still quite old. And um, my dad had them all together with these rocks, kind of holding them together. And I wanted to sort of get to know my father better, I guess. So I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to read these books because he, he must have read them. And there was some evidence that he had read about three pages of one of them. So I started with that one. And for some reason, nonfiction struck me in a way that fiction just never did. And I loved how people got directly to the point of, you know, helping somebody think better. Um, uh, it, you may want to look up the Mental Efficiency series. Um, it, it, they're pretty cool books. So I grew up in a little town where there were no bookstores. Um, little northern Arizona town, uh, remote from sort of the big cities where you'd find that kind of thing. So I read these 10 books, and then I didn't really have anything to read of that type. The library in our high school didn't have those types of books. So when uh, our family took a trip down to the Phoenix area, there was a, um, we had an opportunity to go to the mall, and the mall was connected to a bookstore. So I went in there and went to the philosophy section of the bookstore, and I... Uh, just kind of was literally judging books by their covers, trying to figure out what might be a, a good a good book to read. 
Um, one was called Pulling Your Own Strings by this guy who had written one other book and was just kind of barely getting to be known by the name of Dr. Wayne Dyer. So I bought that book. And then I, uh, a, couple, a couple covers down from there was a, this really cool Chinese character um, written in sort of a calligraphy kind of a way. And, and the, the, um, the name of the book was The Way of Life. I had no idea that I was looking at a translation of the Tao Te Ching, um, a transduction actually in this case, by Witterbeiner. So, uh, but I thought it was a cool looking book, so I grabbed it and we went home. I read Dyer's book and then I read for the first time the Tao Te Ching. And it was, for me, it was mind blowing. I had never read anything like that. Um, we were studying the New Testament at the time in seminary, and uh, Paul's writings, Paul, Paul sometimes writes sort of ethereally, and I saw some, some similarities between some of the principles that were brought up by Paul in the New Testament and this guy Lao Tzu that lived at 600 BC in China. And I remember being fascinated that there were principles that were similar enough from different time frames from different uh, people and cultures that uh, you know how could that be how could such similar ideas sort of been brought about by people from such disparate times and cultures and belief systems and it just struck me that you know there's probably true stuff out there kind of motivated me to want to find more of it so anyway, um, as I was reading this particular version of the Tao Te Ching, I discovered that Witterbeiner actually had taken the extant versions of the Tao Te Ching at his time and had just, just written his own version in a way that sounded better in the English language. He wasn't a student of Chinese or anything like that. He didn't translate it straight from Chinese. And I thought that was interesting. That's a thing. Somebody could do that. Well, his version actually did sound um, it, it, it rolled off the tongue better in the English language. And it was very influential to me. And uh, so I thought that was cool. So in my sophomore year in high school, I bought six or seven other translations of the Tao Te Ching. Now that I knew that there was, um, that his was only one of many. And uh, I, I would do like comparative studies, you know. And it's, the Tao Te Ching is not translated the same every time. A, a lot of things are similar, but I, I guess the the translator might see things differently than than another one and just kind of put their own little spin on it or they interpret that character differently than somebody else in, interprets that character even Spanish to English you don't get even though they're very similar languages you don't get a perfectly clean translation of the meaning so a language like Chinese into English is even more difficult so a lot of people have made translations of the Tao Te Ching and in my opinion the only way to understand or to sort of begin to understand the Tao Te Ching in um, English is to read more than one translation. So I read a lot of them. And, uh, you know, through, through the rest of high school, I, I essentially just became a student of Chinese philosophy and Taoism specifically. 
Then I went on an LDS mission. Um, so if you don't know what that is, it's it, it basically, you know, you have a particular belief system and you're, you're at a particular place in the world doing your best to share that message with other people. Those who like it, great. Those who don't, that's okay too. I did that for two years. Um, and then very, very quickly after I got home, I met uh, one of the sort of pioneers in this, this uh, realm of wilderness therapy. Um, and he had started a, a, a wilderness therapy program, one of the first ones, and I was invited to work there. And, and at first I wasn't going to, but then um, I ended up working there. And I saw people who had done this a little bit longer than me, some people about the same amount of time as me. Some people worked really well with people that they were an authority figure over. Now, if you know anything about the Tao Te Ching, this, this, uh, there's a man, his name is Lao Tzu, and he lived about the time of, of Confucius. And he had a particular view about life. And uh, uh, there were people who essentially became disciples of his. Confucius was rather impressed by him. This is as the legend goes. So um, he tried to help emperors understand how to work with people over whom they have authority. He tried to help people understand uh, principles around how to function in your life when it comes to uh, being with others in a non-authoritative way, uh, in more of a, a natural way. Anyway, it, it, he had just these, these really cool teachings. So influential were his writings that uh, that's why Buddhism sort of evolved into Zen Buddhism up in China. Um, it is the it was one of the three major religions in China, still is, uh, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Buddhism, Taoism, and Confucianism. Um, so it was, it was an extraordinarily influential book, still is, in, in, in its time frame, in its culture, and has spread across the world. Um, and this, this idea of somebody working in this natural way that I, I got accustomed to understanding because of my um, uh, studiousness having to do with the Tao Te Ching, I noticed that some field instructors would do things and the students just seemed to want to go along, just they would just comply or they would be interested or they would, they would uh, sort of they would decide to go ahead and do what the, these people asked them to do, you know, to be nice, to uh, do what needed to be done that day. And others just caused reactivity or resistance by the students. And in my mind, I'm like, you know what? Some of these people know how to operate under the principles of what I would call uh, Taoism or what Lao Tzu would be teaching, and they don't even know what, what the Tao Te Ching is. I thought that was just fascinating. Then... I, I realized, you know what, about half of the Tao Te Ching can be transducted into how it might apply to an individual in these modern days working with young people. Uh, so we're going to talk about transduction. Same, it's, the, it's what Witter Biner did that I just mentioned. 
he had taken the translations at the time and made it sound better in English and perhaps have the meaning a little bit more clear even. Um, so I thought, what if somebody wrote a book, if they, they, they took the, the translations or several translations of the Tao Te Ching, but made each section about an older person working with a younger person? What if field instructors had access to a version of the Tao Te Ching that was specifically for them? And I thought, well, man, what if parents had a version of the Tao Te Ching that was specifically for them? Coaches, um, line staff and treatment centers, anybody who works with kids. So I set about making that, that version. So my version of the Tao Te Ching, the way with children, is informed by my study of the Tao Te Ching and also my experience working with children, especially children who could be categorized as uh, troubled, children who have oppositional defiance disorder, children who have reactive attachment disorder, children who suffer from trauma in their lives and, and need a lot of healing, uh, children who are on this, uh, the spectrum, who need understanding. Um, take almost any kind of child, and in my opinion, the principles that are illuminated to all of us in the Tao Te Ching uh, apply in in regards to working with those children and then obviously children who are maybe more typical behaviorally it applies to them too so i i didn't do the transduction in in order i didn't start with the first poem and just kind of go through 81 it, it popped around a little bit and i started a long time ago it took me all together about 21 years to finish the book from the time i'd started it um and I would often go back to some of the first sections that I had transducted a decade earlier to see if maybe things had changed for me in terms of my experience. Would I, would I modify it? And I haven't modified a single word. Um, it all just seemed to land right at the time that it landed. I guess I should explain what I mean by that. So I would take 17... 18, 19, 20, no less than 17 translations from different eras of when the Tao Te Ching was translated, including Witterbeiner's transduction. And I would try to absorb the meaning of a couple lines in a section and then try to turn that into as it would apply to a modern person working with a modern child. And there would come a feeling for me that I, I knew when it was done. I knew that I got it. I got it. Um, this is, this is I, one of my goals was that if somebody had gone to Lao Tzu and said, uh, sort of were able to show him what, what this time frame that we're living in now looked like and said, could you please redo your book uh, to fit adults working with kids at that time in the future that, he would write that. So that was my goal. Um, I'm actually quite happy with it. Having said that, it is kind of difficult to understand, especially for our culture. So um, I wanted to, which I'm going to now, 
work through um, each section and explain it a little bit, try to make it, I guess you could say, more accessible to all of us. Um, I'm going to do one section. Uh, it won't be the first section in the book. Um, I believe it is the it's the 48th section. So if you have a, a translation of the Tao Te Ching, you can go to the 48th section and compare it to what I'm going to be doing here. Um, that's going to be in the uh, it's going to be a separate podcast from this one. Um, but it's 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 going to be connected. Uh, it's there's going to be two or three that are um, sort of for general public, and then the the rest of them are are going to be uh, made available through a subscription. Um, so uh, I'm going to be talking about alternatives. The section in the way with children um, that has to do with a concept of unlearning. See you then.